And the person interviewing me wrote those words down, looked up from his piece of paper and said to me, so do you think we're going to like that? Yeah, I, I do what I do today, Kathy, because of a fourth grade field trip. No credit to me, just me fumbling along with what I knew at the time and the dog being very forgiving of my mistakes. Boundaries. There are so many places that this word plays in our lives. There are boundaries between nations, boundaries between people's properties, and that can be fencing on the back 40, the wall between apartments, and of course, there's the persnickety ones. Ones that can be equal parts confounding and occasionally elusive. Boundaries in relationships. It doesn't really matter what form they take because the purpose is really the same. It's to show where one thing ends and another begins. To give context, framework, place. The things that we humans need so desperately to operate in the world. My dear listeners, for those of you who have been here for a bit, you know the last months have been an exercise in all kinds of lessons for me. Humility, surrender, and now, boundaries. And this time, it's about ones that are even more literal on a personal level. And while dogs are involved in the story, this time, it's about poison oak. Grab the calamine lotion. I'm Kathy Brooks, and this is Talk Unleashed. So, I turned 54 this past May, and I have made it through 54 years of life, playing in the woods back in the suburbs of Philadelphia, going camping, going to summer camp, going hiking. And I have made it this far without ever getting poison ivy or poison oak. Until now. <laughs> So July 4th weekend, I went hiking with a friend of mine, and we went on this absolutely glorious hike uh, on Mount Tambopias. It's in Marin County in Northern California. And we initially were going to go on this one hike to Cataract Falls, and we get on the trail, and we're out there, and we didn't run into too many people, but there were a sufficient number of folks on the trail, a lot of them with dogs, and we get to this kind of fork in the road where we can take a left and kind of go down to the falls and along the trail. Or there was a trail off to the right. And my friend said, you know, I've never been on that trail before. And he pulls out his map and looks at it. He says, you know, we can do that. It can be a loop. It'll be a nice walk. I said, great. So we forge off on this trail and it is magnificent. I mean, it is every topography of Northern California that you can imagine. We're in deep fern-filled forests. We're in manzanita groves. We're amidst pine trees and the trail is marked, but not very well used. You can tell that there just aren't a lot of people who who use this trail. At one point we can break out of the tree line and we come along this beautiful angled hillside and the grass is all golden blowing in the blowing in the breeze with pine trees all around it's just magnificent now my friend last summer went on a camping trip and experienced what can only be described as an apocalyptic case of poison oak on that trip 
Um, he was he was laid out with it for a number of weeks, you know, up to his na- neck in you know three or four, three or four oatmeal baths a day, and you know steroids and antibiotics. I mean, he was really he was really kind of a mess, and he has become astutely aware, of course, of poison oak. So we're walking along and he's pointing it out and he's pointing it out. And I thought I knew what it looked like because I had seen it before. But there were a couple of times where he showed it to me. I was like, wow, I didn't know poison oak could look like that. And it was on a vine up a tree. And the leaves were a little bit differently shaped, but, you know, still three leaves clustered together. If you've never heard the phrase, leaves of three, leave them be, it applies to poison oak and poison ivy. Pro tip. Anyway, we're going and we're going through the path and we're managing, I'm, at least I thought I'm managing to avoid everything. And at one point I kind of go past a overhanging branch and kind of brushes the side of my head. And I hear my friend Wes say, wow, that's poison oak. And I thought, oh, shit. And I check and I kind of wipe my, you know, kind of clean my face off and I'm like, okay, it's fine. So a couple of days later, I was coming back from spending the day up with some friends uh, along the Napa River and I you know, I kind of had like a little itch on my stomach. And so I kind of look and it looked like a bug bite. And I got a little itch, a mosquito bite, scratched it a little bit, not a big deal. I had another one kind of in the middle of my back. And again, eh, not such a big deal. It wasn't too itchy, wasn't too big a deal, didn't really think much of it. So a couple more days go by and all of a sudden I look and there's more bug bites. I'm like, well, that's ridiculous. I mean, typically, you know, bugs don't gather together in a little kind of cluster to snack on you. You know, you'll have a bite on your leg, a bite on your arm, all that. I thought, oh man, what could it be? What could it be? So we're now at Friday and the itch is getting pretty bad. Not too epic at this point, but it's bad enough. And I'm having dinner with the same friend and he holds up his arm and shows where he had poison oak on his arm. And I said, hey, you know, so I've got this. He said, yeah, you've got poison oak. So I go out, I get some calamine lotion. I go home. I take a nice warm shower. Keep in mind the whole warm thing. Those of you who know poison oak are seeing the mistake that I made here already. And over the weekend, it just it just keeps getting worse. Sunday night, I can't sleep at all. I am uncomfortable and it's itchy. And my, you know, entire stomach at this point from like just below the belly button all the way up, like between my breast line onto my chest is like red and inflamed and awful. And the same thing is happening on my back. And I just, I feel a little feverish. I feel awful. Now, thankfully, I actually had had an appointment scheduled with a dermatologist for this Friday. Um, And I called. And I said, please tell me that you have a cancellation today. She said, well, as a matter of fact, we do. So I go in and I, you know, get the appointment taken care of. And, you know, they give me some ointment and they give me a cortisone shot and things, you know, are feeling a little bit better. So now at this point, you're saying, so Kathy, funny story, hilarious. What on earth does this have to do with anything? Well, stick with me another minute here. Now, I know on another episode, I talked about surrender, and that's not entirely what this is about. But what's interesting is the level of surrender that arose, because I know some people are like, oh, man, I feel so sorry for you, like a lot of that pity thing. And then other people are like, man, Kathy, with everything you've been through, haven't you had enough? I mean, sure, I could ask that of the higher power upstairs. I mean, for crying out loud, enough already, right? But while I may be monumentally itchy in this moment, I'm not actually sorry. I mean, for for starters, I had this great hike, saw beautiful things, got to spend a magnificent day with my friend. And I also, in this process, I'm getting to learn a couple of things. 
I mean, I know without question that the universe, the greater power of the universe, has got my back. In this case, it has my back and my front, and I would prefer that the message were slightly less itch-bound, but there it is. And I'm in some discomfort, but what does surrender really mean? Like, if I'm surrendering and the surrender is an eye roll and saying, oh, man, come on, enough already. I surrender, I surrender. Is that really surrender? And it occurred to me that it isn't because there's still that sense of entitlement of enough already, I'm done. I don't get to decide. I'm done when I'm done. I'm done when the lesson lands. I'm done when the message sticks. You know, so through this day, I had a bunch of calls I got to do this morning. I had a great meeting with a client, a dog training client. We got to work with, you know, work with her dog. You know, I went to Trader Joe's at one point and had a bunch of interactions with people in the store that were just delightful. I left people with smiles on their faces. I had one guy who said, is this the day when you shop here? Because I want to shop with you every time I come to Trader Joe's because you've just really brightened my day. And through it all, I mean, I'm not on the scale of one to 10. I'm definitely not at a 10 at the moment. But I'm not dead, not in a hospital. I'm able to function. I'm a little uncomfortable. So what? There are plenty of people in this world who are experiencing discomfort that's a hell of a lot worse than this. I'm pretty sure I can take a little bit of itch. And a funny thing happens when you're driving and you're in a kind of a hypersensitive physical state. Think about it. You're on a road trip. You've been drinking a lot of like 64-ounce beverages and you really have to pee. Ever been more hypersensitive to all the things around you? And so I'm driving in this hypersensitive state today. Everything, everything just felt more elevated. And what's really interesting is to notice just how disconnected most people are. And in that disconnectedness, how acutely unaware they are of boundaries personal space, recognizing when their movement might infringe on someone else in a way that could just be inconveniencing, it could be irritating, or in the case of driving, could be downright dangerous. Cars, it's like a skin, a metal skin. We put ourselves in these metal boxes isolate ourselves from other people. We drive into our garages, our attached garages, and walk through an interior door. I mean, we go from one sealed set of skin to the next, one sealed box to another. And that lack of mindfulness, that lack of attention, it's damaging. Because, you know, when someone... You know, in my state today, I had you know, a couple of people cut me off. I had someone almost turn into the side of my car. Like, lots of almost things happen. People just not paying attention. Thankfully, I was paying attention, so nothing happened. 
but I I think about moments in which someone maybe cut me off and I could feel that rush of adrenaline, that rush of adrenaline when you kind of have that close call. And how many times I responded to their action with a, hey, fuck you, man. Flipping them off, honking the horn, maybe even following them, you know, getting in behind them, driving really angrily, flashing my high beams on. Yeah, with disclosure, there was a period of time where road rage was kind of a thing for me. Glad to report I've put that one to sleep. But the point is, honoring my own boundary, my bound, because my boundaries are sacred. When someone infringes on my boundary, I don't know what's going on with them when they did that. I mean, I'm not talking about the obvious stuff, right? Physical abuse, assault, or something where somebody is clearly entering your space in a way that you don't really need to ask them once. I mean, you get to protect yourself. I'm talking about the everyday, mundane simple interactions we have with people where someone else's choice about their own boundary is made without any awareness of the impact of the choice they've made on someone else. Stepping in front of someone in a line, not walking up oblivious and not realizing there's a line of people waiting for something and just kind of walking right in front of everybody. How many times have you seen that? How many times has your response to that been one of two things? saying something terribly snarky or kind of heaving a sigh, giving an eye roll and then muttering under your breath or talking to someone else on the line about that asshole who just cut in without thinking. One of my favorite lines used to be, well, I guess I'm wearing an invisibility cloak. There you go. As opposed to just gently saying, hey, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a, there's a line back there without any malice, without any judgment. Because most people, they're really just not thinking. They're just not paying attention. And look at the world we live in as a result. I mean, I don't know about you, but selfishness, self-centeredness, it's, it's really everywhere. When I'm dealing with dogs, it's a skin-on-skin game. There's There's no boxes. There's no hiding. There's no physical thing. And yet, when people show up with their dogs on my doorstep, what I see all the time is someone who is so stuck in their own story, or they're so stuck in old ways of behaving with dogs or old methods they've used that have worked, that they don't see the dog that's right in front of them. And that doesn't work with a dog. It's like a preverbal toddler. The walls we are accustomed to putting up in the world to protect us from what? Somebody seeing who we actually are? Well, that's just silly. As if... My putting up a wall doesn't actually show people precisely who I am. Because the walls may hide inner vulnerability, but they sure don't hide the truth. Reading people, I mean, 
Barring sociopaths or perhaps, you know, someone who's a couple tacos short of a combination plate, most people think that the way they're behaving in the world is fooling people. Newsflash. You're not fooling anybody. None of us are. So why not take the walls down? If you heard my conversation on the podcast a couple weeks ago with John Hagel about his book, The Journey Beyond Fear, you'll know that it's, these are the stories we tell ourselves we have these baked-in beliefs, most of which go back to our childhood. And we build these beliefs and we build these stories, and over time, those stories, we amass so much evidence that they're true. But they're not. These boundaries I put up don't do anything except isolate me. And here's the other thing. You know, you hear the phrase lone wolf. Well, I've said it on this podcast before and I'll say it again. Ain't no such thing. Literally, there is no such thing as a lone wolf. It actually doesn't exist. Doesn't exist in the real world. If you're out and you see a wolf on its own, it may be lost. It's rare, but it happens occasionally. You know, wolf loses its way, especially if it's young or juvenile and kind of wandered off where it shouldn't have. But typically, if you see a wolf out on its own, alone, one of two things is the case. One, it's not actually alone. Yeah, that means the family is somewhere nearby. Or what is almost always the case. The wolf is sick, probably dying. So, my friends, if you are someone who prides yourself in being a lone wolf, might want to rethink that. There's nothing healthy about being a lone wolf. There's no pride or glory in being isolated. Much like our canine friends, we are genetically hardwired to belong to a group, a collective, a family. So while, as Roshi Joan Halifax of the Upaya Zen Center says, we get to move through the world with a strong back and a soft front, meaning that I do have structure to myself, I do have boundary to myself, but that I get to keep it open, to think of it as not a wall or even a fence, but rather a permeable boundary, something that allows life to pass through. Thanks for stopping by. If it's your first time, glad you joined us. If you've been here before and you're back for more, splendid. Glad to have you. Either way, make sure you don't miss out on any of the great conversations we have coming up on Talk Unleashed, or the ones we've already had for that matter. Hit up your favorite podcast player and subscribe. While you're at it, leave a review. It helps other folks find the show. Because it takes a village. 
Speaking of which, Talk Unleashed happens because there is a village. John and Don McLean, Evelyn Coda, and the amazing team at Monster Sound and Picture. Thanks, guys. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. I look forward to having you back next week for another episode of Talk Unleashed. Unleashed.